When you need to restore flow in an ischemic limb, there's no time to lose. You need the Pounce Thrombectomy System. The Pounce System from Sermonix is a purpose-built percutaneous device for removing thrombus and embolus in the peripheral vasculature. No capital equipment or aspiration needed. Just grab, go, and restore flow. It's simple. With the Pounce System, you place the basket wire distal to the clot, place the collection funnel proximal to the clot, pull back to collect the clot in the funnel, and retract the system through your guide sheath. The secret sauce? The Pounce Funnel is designed to macerate and dehydrate the clot, allowing you to remove even large amounts of material through a 7-front sheath. Visit PounceSystem.com to learn how physicians have used the device to accelerate on-table flow restoration while reducing use of thrombolytics. Pounce Thrombectomy. Strike quickly to capture and remove clot. This week on the Backtable Podcast. I want to advise any young up-and-coming um, physician who's interested in critical ischemia and PAD, uh, if you're faced with a, a bad competition on turf four and some really vicious, mean person trying to fight you, my advice is don't get sucked into the, vort- the vortex of primitive behavior. You know, rise above it all and just kind of stick to what you do best and let, let your work speak for you. And it works every time. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Backtable Podcast, your source for all things interventional and endovascular. If you're a regular listener, welcome back and thanks for tuning in. We have a great show for you today with special guest, Dr. Jihad Mustafa. Welcome, Dr. Mustafa, and thanks for being here. Thank you for the great opportunity. Before we dive into our topic today, just want to say a quick word from our sponsor, RADPAD. RADPAD was developed by physicians for physicians, clinically proven radiation protection during CINE and digital subtraction angiography. Don't bet your career or your health on anything less. Trust RADPAD radiation protection shields for all your fluoro-guided interventions. See radpad.com for more information and contact info at radpad.com for a free radiation evaluation and a no-brainer radiation protection cap. I wanted to reiterate what you said. Uh, anything that is uh, made by physicians for physicians is always uh, something that has significant value because the physician has built that tool to protect him or herself. And the red pad, the way it's designed, it's designed for someone who actually has, you know, worked in a lab, their hands are under the fluoroscopy. So we use it um, exactly the way the designer designed it, the physician for physician, without even asking the inventor. So yeah, it's a a major part of what we do every day. And uh, as you know, you know, the amount of scattered radiation that comes from the patients are tremendous. So actually major player in our lab. And I recommend it for everyone. Oh yeah, no, I completely agree for you. The the fact that it's designed by a physician, you know, those things totally, um, you know, just have a different point of view than someone who's not in the lab. So it's a great point. Many people don't know, but you have a pretty unique background. Uh, You actually gave a TED talk many years ago about being a go-getter. Can you tell us how... (laughs) They, you know, they describe you having $80 in your pocket and two pairs of pants when you came to the U.S. as a teenager. 
How'd you go from that to being a key leader in Lim Salvage? Oh, so being that, uh, kind of a nice, uh, surprise. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I came to the U S when I was 15 and had $80. So I landed at 4 PM, um, up in New York, I came to the airport and I started working the second day at 6 AM. And uh, <laughs> today I still have the $80 with me and, uh, I continue to work. I've not stopped since then. And uh, the first thing I learned actually, uh, being on Broadway and 20th street working that, um, you know, everyone's wa walking fast, uh, doing something, uh, so basically busy working. I decided that, uh, I'm going to go ahead and uh, make something out of my life. And, uh, I did, I worked during the day selling umbrellas, other things At night I went to school. That's an amazing story. I mean, that's, that's, that's an amazing accomplishment. I mean. Um, where, you know, where, where did you do your education and training and, and, and where's your current practice? So, uh, you know, I started, um, you know, actually the, this is my favorite part of my, my life. You, you know how, um, uh, when you finish high school in the, in the United States and you look for the best college university there is to go to and, uh, and this, an exciting times for everyone and I have twins right now that are going through it and. They got accepted to a couple, um, elite schools and other, other universities and et cetera. And they're very excited and happy. And the way I did mine actually back, back in the day, I went and looked for the cheapest school there is <laughs> in the country. And that's wow. a true story. <laughs> so I went to the cheapest school I can find and it was called Wayne County Community College. So I started there. The credit was only $18 the first year and it went up to 20 the second year. I was not happy wow. about it. Yeah. <laughs> wow. And, yeah. you know, from there kind of, uh, went until I went and you know, got to, uh, my, uh, cardiology fellowship at Louisiana State University and then I did peripheral intervention and I did the coronary intervention in vascular medicine. It was a, a habit program for vascular medicine and peripheral intervention. So, um, I spent an additional couple of years actually doing that. And the one thing that definitely stuck with me and I found to be extremely interesting is the tibial anatomy and how afraid everyone was to come near it or even advancing a wire into the tibial arteries. Oh yeah. So uh, fell in love with uh, the tibials because nobody else wanted to mess with them. So I decided, well, I'll mess with them. And I started them. That's amazing. And, um, what, when did you start in your own practice? What, what year was that? So, uh, in, in 2003, uh, I finally finished, uh, training, and, uh, started, um, in the summer of 2003 and, uh, the first week uh, of work, um, I got in trouble and had to <laughs> go to the, uh, you know, the office, the usual thing. And the reason I got in trouble because. I saw a patient in the office with rest pain and, um, I opened the SFA and the posterior tibial artery. And that was, uh, probably the fourth day, uh, being, uh, um, at my practice. And, uh, the problem is, was not that I opened the SFA. It was because I opened up the posterior tibial artery. Wow. That was, that was uh, in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And I continue to live in Grand Rapids, Michigan right now and associated with, uh, Michigan State University. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
No, it's it's always amazing, you know, in any kind of field, whether it be medicine or, or you know, even just the industry, it's, you know, you got to find something that needs work on or need, needs to develop a niche. And, and you've definitely advanced, you know, tibiopetal anatomy and interventions to a great degree. So uh, congratulations on all of that. Cool. Thanks. What about what about your current practice? Where are you now? Um, is it hospital based or part of a group? You know, for actually many many years, uh, almost uh, twelve years, I I was uh, hospital based and built a really great CLI program, and that's where uh, Dr. Saab joined me, and uh, you know we worked together side by side for for almost five years, doing some of the more surprising uh, limb salvage procedures, and. Um, we got to a point uh, that we actually uh, outgrew the hospital because the amount of the number of patients that needed procedures was um, beyond the number of cath lab time available to do the procedures. And uh, this is where we elected then to work in the hospital, but also um, open our own center, CLI center. And uh, we started doing that. And right now we have three operating rooms outside of the hospital and uh, still working in the hospital. And with that, we are not able to keep up with the CLI volume and we've hired almost uh, five physicians, yeah, five physicians in the course of two years. Wow. So, you guys so are even five in Slovenia, the CLI is not a um, simple disease. It's a very mm -hmm. complex disease and requires a lot of support. Totally, totally agree with you. I can't believe you, you have increased five operators in the past two years. That's still probably not enough. <laughs> no, I, actually they're not. And um, we, we hired primarily vascular, vascular surgeons and I don't like to use the word hired. We had four vascular surgeons um, joining us and they're our partners now. And as you know, Serena, I'm, I'm a big believer in having a multidisciplinary uh, team. And yeah. it, it's got to, it's got to be one of the best things I've ever done in my life and yeah. seek colleagues that have similar interests. And now together we're doing some amazing, uh, amazing advances in uh, critical limb ischemia therapy. Totally. Totally. You guys, do you guys only focus on um, peripheral vascular disease? Do you do any cardiac uh, intervention as well? Or are you guys focused on limb salvage and CLI? So uh, in, the, uh, in the CLI center, uh, we primarily just focus on uh, CLI uh, center and we just make uh, Dr. Saab go to the coronaries. <laughs> and uh, the rest of us, we uh, full time just doing uh, CLI. And even Dr. Saab has gotten to the point now he's doing less and less coronaries because actually his CLI practice is not allowing him anymore to do coronary. And, um, you know, I just, on a serious note, when we sit down and discuss it in terms of wh where are you making the most difference in terms of patient um, mm -hmm. improvements in quality of life and possibly actually reducing mortality. I mean, this is all probability. You know, Sabina, we found that if you have critical limb ischemia, you know, your average uh, lifespan is, is about 2.1 year, years after you've been diagnosed with it. Uh, versus if you have an acute MI, you can live for another 50 years. It depends, you know, what kind of lifestyle you have. Yeah. So based, uh, based on that concept right now, uh, Fadi and I are 
and I shifted already now, completely mm-hmm. CLI, stopped doing coronaries a year ago and uh, Fedi slowly shifting to CLI. Yeah. 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 No, you get, you have a very strong partnership with Dr. Saab. He's, he's awesome. Uh, how do you guys know each other? Well, Dr. Saab uh, came from uh, Tuff University um, to work in Grand Rapids and um, he had a, a great interest in peripheral vascular disease and uh, you can tell that he's got great skills mm-hmm. and um, he's the only one that would stay with me till midnight um, every day. And um, we built that relationship and some basically uh, we think alike, we do the same work together. Um, we have the same approach, the same problems, but occasionally actually we have different approach which helps. And this is how we came out with the many things that we do, you know, with Demi and uh, with uh, AV Reversal, which we've been doing actually for about eight years now. This is the ninth year. And uh, we've been doing uh, arterial bypass, uh, venous uh, artery to venous to artery. Uh, so, you know, the, the basically the desperation and unmet need forced us into doing things outside the box. And the limb salvage rate that we have with these type of procedures uh, has led us to be more excited and more confident in doing more of this kind of procedures. Yeah. yeah. And you mentioned, you know, how he would be the only one that stay with you till midnight. I mean, I think it's so important that this disease requires dedication, you know, just doing a superficial, you know, trying to delve into it is really not the way to start a limb salvage program. You know, do you agree with that? I, uh, I super agree with that. And, uh, you know, we hear the word limb salvage program a lot and multi uh, specialty limb salvage program a lot. And I gotta tell you, you know, when you dive into limb salvage programs, you've gotta be dedicated hundred percent because you can never predict when is your day gonna end. You might be able to control the beginning of your day if there's no acute limb, but you can never predict when is your day, your day gonna, uh, gonna end. If you're not dedicated and you don't have the passion for it, uh, you get burnt out quickly and you quit. Uh, mm-hmm. so, uh, Fadi was, um, extremely passionate and dedicated. And, uh, as you know, this is love of my life to do this kind of work. So before you know it, it was midnight and, um, <laughs> and this is how, um, you do a limb salvage program. You can't do it nine to five. Not great. Yeah, I've, I've talked to some of my, you know, friends and colleagues who've recently graduated and sometimes a big challenge they have is that they want to do it, but then their partners, you don't know, have no interest in doing an acute limb on the weekend. And, you know, you can't, you can't do it. It's like a haphazard approach to, to someone's life. You know, you just said the magic word, actually, you know, the, the magic word is partners and support. And, uh, you know, we don't talk about this a lot because there's sensitive issues, right? And sensitive mm-hmm. topics. So those that want to do limb salvage and they have the passion for it and willing to do it, but if they don't get the support from their group, um, especially their senior partners, they may not be able to excel actually. And, and not, and probably most likely won't be able to have a complete limb salvage program. Maybe they'll dabble in it. Yeah. And something here and there, but not get to a point where uh, they can tackle almost anything that walks through the door. Like our center right now, 
90% or more of the consults that we get are limb salvage cases and amputation prevention. You know, just so we don't get too ahead of ourselves for trainees who are listening, what's your definition of limb salvage? Uh, so limb salvage, um, at the end of the day, the way I look at it is uh, as the following. A limb salvage is a limb that is um, safe for amputation, allows the patient to be independent of others, um, have a good quality of life, return back to um, society and work and contribute. That's one of them. And then um, also the um, ability to uh, maintain the limb on beyond uh, three months. And then the reason I say that, uh, because patients with critical limb ischemia, you can save their limb, but if you don't maintain it, uh, it does, it's not a limb, sa- a limb saved. And finally, it's medications. It's, uh, you know, sometimes some of the procedures you do to save a limb could be, I don't want to say easy, but could be easier than the norm. But what happens after the procedure, what really counts the most um, as a limb salvage or limb save is the maintenance of it. And we have patients now up to like eight to nine years post limb salvage and still have their limbs on. Wow. Amazing. Amazing. You know, it sure far beats that 2.1 average lifespan of uh, someone who's diagnosed with critical limb scheme. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you said that, Sabine, because that, that is actually the, the, the reality that we face. Um, and when, um, when we discussed the issue of mortality associated with uh, critical limb ischemia, um, there's a lack of comprehension or, or refusal to comprehend the seriousness of critical limb ischemia and the fact that many don't want to accept that uh, having critical limb ischemia is deadlier than having an acute MI. Um, yeah. But this is the reality. We, this exactly. is why we're talking and this is why we have to work together to raise awareness and make everyone aware about the seriousness of uh, critical limb ischemia. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Speaking about amputation prevention, you host an awesome annual AMP meeting uh, in the summer. And the slogan is, leave your specialty at the door. What does that mean? You know, uh, that is actually the, uh, the resolution of discussion between the co-directors and also the members of the CLI Society board members. You know, leave your specialty at the door came after a uh, many long discussions about the contribution of the different specialties toward um, the patient's outcome. And we found that when you combine the effort of the multi-specialty toward a a single patient, almost always, actually the number is 90%, uh, almost always there's a 90% improvement in the outcome of any patient that you treat. Um, because of that, we joining forces together uh, allows us to provide a superior outcome to any patient that we treat. Um, so versus a single entity, single specialty or single physician that will treat a patient by himself or by herself. So leave your specialty behind is to, you know, is to push us to work together more uh, because you know, Serene, any one of us might get to a point where you hit a, when you hit a 
just brick wall and you don't have any more ideas or any other options to offer the patient and someone could be standing next to you and give you an idea that is so good and you'd be like, wow, <laughs> that is simple, man. I can't believe I didn't think of it. So this is how, how it was born, basically on discussions behind closed doors. And we found if you combine the specialty effort together, um, the outcome for the patients is better. And we published a nice large manuscript on that showing that if uh, patients were treated uh, by any group, as long as they combine their efforts, the outcome is improved by 90%. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, mul the multidisciplinary approach to, you know, saving legs and limb salvage is, is extremely important. I mean, what, what type of disciplines would you include under this multidisciplinary approach? Who's, who's all involved? You know, uh, so today is a good day actually to answer that question for you. It's, uh, because now that we have our own independent uh, limb salvage center or amputation prevention center, either way, either way. Um, so we have this um, direct relationship with our partners, now the vasculosurgeons that work with us side by side every day. And actually we have podiatrists as well. And then um, we have this sort of um, basically uh, um, relationships, deep relationships with infectious disease, wound clinics, uh, endocrinology, and any other primary care physicians that offer care for patients. So we have this deep relationship with all of them together. And it's similar to the paper that we published in Jack at one point. And, um, you know, not just the relationship, but what I found to be extremely important, Serene, is to pick up the phone and call someone. And then mm -hmm. let the wound care uh, know that you just opened the arteries and it's a good idea if you do something this week. And the same thing with the podiatrist. I'm not sure, you know, if the communication between uh, the operators uh, in the, you know, the surgical operation or in the vascular operations um, and, the, and then with the primary care physician or a wound care specialist are happening as much as they should. And uh, because we're physicians, we found that we're unable to do it every time. So we created a mid-level provider who's, who's with us at the end of every case. And we make a quick summary and send it to everyone. And um, I really recommend this highly for everyone to do, um, primarily to the wound care um, clinic and the podiatrist and um, infectious disease doc if, his, if they're involved. And then we decided finally to just send it to everyone that is involved in the care of the patient. So that's what we do right now. It's a single message to everybody. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah, that's, that's, I mean, I think your approach is, is a streamlined approach that, you know, anyone starting a limb salvage program can kind of hope to attain to, because, you know, like you said in your paper, you know, that helps 90, 90% improved results with a multidisciplinary approach. So they can only, um, hope to learn from that example. Yeah. What about a uh, starting, starting a limb salvage program? How does, how does one start? um, to, to build one. Yeah, it's, um, it's actually, I'm not going to say impossible, but it's harder than, than I thought. And, uh, and okay. the reason it's hard because of the responsibility that you're taking on. And if you're going to say you have a limb salvage program, you're going to find yourself, um, actually in the mix of, 
uh, many, many sick patients that require a really complex care in an outpatient setting. And, uh, you know, the uh, perception out there that if you're an out, in an outpatient setting, you are not going to be able to provide these, this complex care to those patients that are extremely sick. So in the beginning, we, we actually took the sick patients to the hospital and treated the less patients in the office. And we found that in the hospital, we didn't have, we didn't have what we needed and uh, we didn't have the support that we needed. Then we actually shifted and switched. And now we're doing the more complex uh, cases in the outpatient centers and the less complex uh, in the hospital because of the time and space, et cetera. So having a limb salvage center and opening one is very tricky and um, not easy. So I don't want to yeah. make it sound like it's extremely easy and uh, you just open the door like everyone tells you and everything will be fine. Uh, no, it requires uh, daily uh, hard work and uh, a extensive uh, meticulous follow-up. And uh, if you do that, of course, there's a lot in between, but if you do that, if you save a limb, maintaining the limb is what it, what is most important in the limb salvage program. Yeah. I mean, you, you hit it spot on. I'm glad you, you know, know that it, it's, it's not an easy thing just to say, okay, I'm going to do a limb salvage program. I mean, it, um, you know, for our listeners, I think it's important to know that like we've discussed before, it takes dedication and it's, it's a challenge. I mean, one of the challenges I dealt with starting, um, our program is, is competition and turf wars. I mean, what, what do you think about that? I mean, we talked about collaboration and multidisciplinary approach, but you know, uh, not to ignore the competition that's there. How, how does that help or hurt a program? You know, uh, thank you for bringing that up because, uh, Unfortunately, in 2020, uh, competition and turf war still exists, despite the fact that we know that collaboration also exists. And, you know, you have to choose, you have to make a decision that you are not going to fall into this trap of uh, primitive behavior and then, you know, get sidetracked and stuck into the vertex of the he said, she said things that go on, especially within institutions. And you need to actually stop, rise above it all, and focus on, only on what's important, and that is the patient. And this is how we fought our war, actually. And, and yes, we did have our battles. We did have the competition. But uh, quickly, everyone realized that really we are not a competition to any of our surrounding physicians because the patients that we're treating are patients that were scheduled for an amputation at each of the institutions that are around us. So uh, since, since that has actually have resolved and uh, the realization that we're just treating those that were scheduled for an amputation, uh, we have less resistance. Uh, the third four, uh, it is basically comes back to uh, more of a clotican population patients, the patient populations, and uh, those ones uh, we we tend to manage again by using the same method. So you know, what are some challenges that people talk about building a limb salvage program? I mean, you have a lot of people international and um, 
local that kind of learn from you from your center? What are some of the things they say that they've noted as challenges of, of creating a program other than the ones we talked about? Yeah, let's talk about a few of them, right? Because there's so many, but let's talk about the top five uh, challenges. You know, uh, when someone comes and visit you at your center and they see that everything is moving around and cases are being done, patients come in the morning, they get the procedures and get discharged. And, uh, you know, the impression that you show or the impression that, you, you know, the observant physician sees uh, this is straightforward. The patient walks in, they get a procedure, and they go home. So what goes on behind the scene, really what makes this uh, sort of nice three steps happen uh, easily, and that is uh, it failure number one, not having a good uh, mid-level support that supports you behind the closed doors where you and the mid-level sit down and examine the patient, have a good plan, and you as a CLI therapist or interventionist or surgeon, anything you want to, anyone that can provide revascularization, spend enough time and understand the complex problem they're facing and they can say, I can do it or I can't do it. And, I, you know, so and that is one of the hardest part. And once you say that I can do it, then that patient goes into a sort of a, a path where further imaging is done and the patient is scheduled. The second failure that we hear a lot about is the patient actually goes through the uh, initial process of evaluation and made it to the operating room and the uh, crossing of the CTO did not happen. And uh, as you know, in, in CLI, the success rate is between 40 to 60% and that is not very good. And so. I mean, yeah, depends on who you are. Uh, if you only succeed in 40% of the time, so the patients that you see in coming in, getting a procedure and leaving, it's going to be uh, very small. So that's the second thing is, is crossing. And the, the third um, obstacles that we hear a lot about is how to deal with uh, growing complications and also inter-procedure complications. And uh, we just presented our data at ISA recently for 1,500 patients. We had a third party evaluate our patients. And, you know, we have, you know, complications like everyone else, but ours were extremely low. And the reason they were low, because we use ultrasound in every step of the way. So we evaluate the access point before we get an access. And when we close, if you use a closure device, we use ultrasound as well. And if we're trying to cross and we can't cross, we use ultrasound, then we cross. And then finally, we use retrograde access, tibial access, or pedal access. So these are, these are the top five that, in my mind, if you don't master those, uh, your, your failure rate uh, is going to be very high. I mean, in, in 40 to 60%. If you master what I just mentioned to you, your success rate will be in the 90s. I'm never going to say... We have a hundred percent success rate, but we have a very high success rate, considering that the patients that we get um, are, you know, amputation prevention or limb salvage. So uh, I would like to say for those that um, thinking of the obstacles, they should accept the fact that not everybody can cross everything, including myself and Fatty and you. Ever, everyone's going to face one of those, 
but see what your limit is and then actually try to get to it and improve it. You have to improve your limits until you get to a 90% uh, crossing rate, then, then you're good. Completely agree. I mean, um, you know, we talked, we touched on earlier about how a second pair of eyes or something can just come up with another idea. And, and there are times like even just yesterday, there was a lesion I couldn't cross. And one of my partners thought of another idea that worked. And so that's another reason why collaboration and, and more people who are highly involved can, can really help with that as well. The way you just mentioned right now is the reality of a collaborative uh, effort between you and your partner and your partner could be any specialty. So we, yeah. we don't mention that that much anymore in our practice here, because now we have multiple specialists. So they can come in probably in your scenario, for example, they can just come in, put a pillow sheet for you, pass a wire up and walk away. And they just saved you an hour of hard work. Right. Mm -hmm. So we have, we have to get to that level of, uh, telepathic, uh, uh, combined work effort, uh, yeah. so the patient can, can get the best care from both, uh, both two physicians that combine their effort together. Yeah, it's like leave your specialty at the door and leave your ego at the door as well. You know, absolutely. That's, that's the... I, thank you, man. It, leaving your ego is much better than leaving your specialty, <laughs> or leaving both would be better. Um, uh, you know, I wanted to touch on two technical aspects that I think you and your group have really, really, um, really, really advanced. I mean, everyone knows that pedal access now has has changed the game of crossing lesions. Um, uh, from an endovascular approach, how has pedal access evolved, you know, in the last five years in your group? Yeah. So, um, we've been doing pedal access. This will be the, ni the ninth year, uh, right now. And, um, initially we were definitely, uh, we went through the normal things that everyone uh, goes through and actually would like to say that. We did get the letters, uh, the recommendations and sit in a federal committee justifying why we stuck a tibial artery or a peer lottery and, and you know, the normal things, right? Defending ourselves. Then we did trials after trials and we showed safety. So once we went through this and then we started to look, what else can we do with peer access? And actually peer access did evolve significantly. Significantly to the point that in the CTOP paper that Dr. Saab published, I mean, he showed almost uh, almost seventy percent uh, access reversal success rate. So when you can basically when you fail to cross from above, you, uh, you can go from below, and the success rate is significantly higher and quicker. Right. So this is almost uh, goes back to our point earlier that uh, the success rate is only forty percent in some centers to cross a CTO. So without the pedal um, access and evolution, which now it's not just an access to uh, cross, but evolved access to cross, uh, shorten the time of the patient on the table, radiation reduction, contrast reduction, and now we deliver therapy through it. And the fact that we have slender sheets now and um, rat pads again, this is where they become very valuable. We can deliver the entire therapy from below and the patient can go home within 45 minutes. It depends on, on which uh, size sheath and what you did. Uh, so imagine, Serena, I mean, eight years ago, 
you know, we were being reprimanded for <laughs> doing uh, fetal access. And yeah. today uh, our patients actually come in and ask, well, you know, uh, why don't, don't go through my groin today? I mean, you know, Dr. Mustafa <laughs> went through my foot last time and that was much easier. You know, it's, so we hear that now. We sound yeah. here. Yeah. Um, I got to tell you, I, right now, most of the time when I have a limb salvage, I start with the pubic axis, then with the groin axis. And I'm not sure if I'm right or wrong, but we're evaluating it um, in our institution. And I'll let you know in about six months. I like it. I, I can't wait to hear about that. That's interesting because, you know, a lot of people have questions about hashtag primary pedal and, and that's really going to be an interesting insight. Absolutely. The other, you know, when I came to your course about a year and a half ago or two years ago at your center, uh, I was really impressed with uh, something called extravascular ultrasound. Now, I, I think most of our listeners know intravascular ultrasound when we uh, can look at vessels, but extravascular ultrasound is an entirely different beast. What is that? You know, we call it EVAS, right? Extravascular ultrasound. Uh, it's basically an ultrasound that is historically used for diagnostic imaging where you do a Doppler, um, arterial Doppler or venous uh, evaluation for DVT or venous deficiency. But um, what we decided to do, actually use it as a tool uh, for intervention. So. The way we look at EVIS, extravascular ultrasound, we, we look at it as a tool of intervention uh, during the procedure. So um, if you if you remember last year, Sabine, when you were here, we didn't do anything without it. Uh, and sometimes we go for about 10 minutes without using any radiation or any contrast. We get access under, put, put the sheath under it, cross the CTO, do the exchange, everything that we need without using any radiation or, or contrast. So um, today, it's very hard for me to watch uh, someone um, gain access under fluoroscopy <laughs> or blindly or palpation. And also, I feel bad for somebody struggling to cross a CTO, especially during a life case somewhere. And, you know, they're just looping a wire and a wire is not going somewhere. You know, in our center, we're just put a, a nevis or an ultrasound probe and within two minutes you can see where you're stuck and you go around it and then, and then you cross. And literally, Sabine, it's just basically two to three minutes and you can go through what you're struggling with. So EVIS um, is an extra extraordinary tool to use during complex revascularization and it makes your life so much easier. But the best part of it is adds significant value to the patient in terms of safety and possibly efficacy someday. Yeah, totally agree. It's amazing. I mean, I think the biggest challenge for people to get even started is a, it does require a second pair of hands. Absolutely. Um, and, and, you know, so, you know, you have to have a vascular tech or someone else who's, who's very familiar in that setting, but you guys have it down. Man, and you did note, you did note something too, when you see someone else trying to get access with fluoroscopy, it's kind of, you kind of chuckle to yourself saying, oh no, like just, just use ultrasound. It's, it's so much better. Yeah, I, I do. But you know, um, it will eventually become the norm. You know, we yeah. were, we, we're going to be doing a big trial soon and uh, 
you're going to be part of it. We won't discuss it here now, but if it, you know, part of the discussion about that trial was, uh, would you consider doing, um, EBUS guided access versus, uh, palpation guided access? And I said, no, it, it's unethical today to do that. Yeah. So mm -hmm. we declined to do such, um, uh, randomization because, uh, how could you today, yeah. um, uh, uh, do a blinded, uh, stick into an artery where you actually can see exactly where you're going to get in. You can see what is going on with the artery and that will actually affect the safety of that artery. So therefore we decline the, to randomize that part of the study. Kudos. I, I completely agree. Um, going back to limb salvage and uh, what about social media? Does, does social media play a role? into starting a center or, or anything like that, that includes Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. You know, uh, social media is a phenomenal thing. Uh, and, uh, you know, like everything else, you know, there's always ups and downs, but in general, social media helps tremendously. Uh, you know, we share with each other the, the good case that we had and the bad case that we had, and we get advice from each other and, um, you know, those that are trying to open a limb salvage program or an outpatient center, uh, in general, they can get a lot of advice, uh, from, uh, everyone on, uh, on, on the media. The other day, Sabine and I, uh, had a question about a device and how to use it. And I sent a question and I got almost a third response. And guess what? I mean, I, I pretty much got the answer that I needed, did, did what I had to do and is extremely successful. Uh, we move it toward an age where, um, you know, uh, online in general, electronics or webs, et cetera, is going to be part of our daily, uh, practice. And I, I look forward to the day where we all wear some sort of, a Google glasses or something, and we can see what we're doing and help each other out while you're in California and I'm in Michigan, I'm not putting any, I'm not promoting anything. I'm just saying. It could be something someday. Definitely. Definitely. I could agree with you too. And I think it's, it's a nice way to network. I mean, I think probably my first interactions with you are on social media before I met you in person and, and, uh, learned so much from each other from there. So I got to tell you that I, I learned curling, uh, from Twitter, <laughs> from uh -huh. you. So thank you. Now, You're welcome. the master of coiling. So, uh, <laughs> nice. Perfect. Four years. I was the master here in my group, not, not, uh, everywhere else, but it just shows you, you know, you ask question and, and you do it all the time. Right. And mm -hmm. the tricks that you guys gave me, that was phenomenal. And, and now I can pretty much coil anything I need to. Um, mm -hmm. so yeah, what we, but what you actually get in that to get into in terms of, uh, Twitter or media in general, it's a phenomenal tool. We have to use it right and educate yeah. the young and, uh, and, and the old and everyone that is willing to be educated through it. Exactly. Exactly. And, um, ignore, sometimes there's a little bit of negativity and trolling on, on social media, but that's just easy to kind of ignore and move on. I went back to the, um, old days, you know, of the comparative and, um, uh, and therefore, and I decided not to fall back into that primitive thinking. And, uh, I have not 
actually gotten back into any sort of uh, negative interaction with anyone because it's not worth it really. Yeah. And, but like, you're right. It does happen. And uh, I'm, I'm very grateful to everyone that uh, steps up and say, stop that. That's not necessary. And let's focus on something positive. And it's been really nice lately. Yeah. Great. You briefly touched on, you know, a new technology or a new technique as far as AV reversal or percutaneous bypass. Do you think this is something we'll be able to do in, in independent limb salvage centers or is it only something in the hospital? You know, I, actually, I got to tell you um, a funny story where we sent uh, Dr. Saab to the hospital to do AV reversal on a patient. And uh, he was gone for six hours and it's like, so we felt bad for him. Uh, it, must, <laughs> it must have been a really tough uh, case. Uh, it took his six hours to do it. Uh, he said, no, it, did. it only took me like two hours to do it. It's just waiting for the devices to be found um, to do it. And uh, the problem we learned later on that, you know, actually the, um, the hospitals don't have everything that you have in your um, outpatient centers. And again, this is not by any mean taking a cheap shot at any hospitals at all, it, except that, you know, when you have your own center and you do these kind of procedures, you prepared for them and you have all the tools that you need. And, and it's just like uh, we, what you started with today, you know, building, uh, you know, tools uh, by, physician, by physicians for physicians, right? And now when you build your center, uh, you build it for you, for what you do every day. So uh, now we don't do them in the hospital anymore. So actually, all of our um, arterial venous uh, uh, flow reversal are done here in the center. Actually, they are far more efficient, quicker, safer, actually, much safer. Mm -hmm. And even the uh, uh, arterial venous arterial bypass, we do them uh, uh, in the outpatient center as well. And those are um, actually easier than the AV reversal because they have less um, requirements, you know, long discussion, but in general, we're going to be actually, um, putting the details in the uh, CLI global journal, a couple of cases coming out, uh, imagine, I mean, we feel more comfortable doing a inside to bypass in the outpatient center than doing it in the hospital because of the lack of tools that we need. Yeah. I, I personally can't wait to, to, to read those articles when they come out. It's going to be very interesting and I'll adopt it to my own practice. Um, well, for our listeners, are there, is there anything else you would say that we didn't really cover about developing or starting a limb salvage program that you want them to know? You know, I, I just want everyone to be realistic. Um, you know, there's a, you know, big difference between an OBL and a limb salvage program. Um, an OBL, you know, you can do a lot of uh, straightforward uh, procedures um, that will take you 45 minutes and um, and a lot there's a lot of us that can do that and those that are doing I congratulate them and wish them the best if you really want to open a limb salvage program I would like you to think twice about it and make sure that you're up to the task and the also the financial task because financially is not as um, lucrative as other things but rewarding, uh, in terms of, uh, you know, fulfilling your passion toward limb salvage is very high. So it's doable, uh, Sabine, 
but it takes uh, more work, more effort. The hours are much longer. Uh, you know, this idea of finishing at three o'clock, if you have an outpatient center, uh, we have not seen one day like that, me and Fadi. I don't know who has that. I'd like, I would love to be part of him. But for Limb Salvage, uh, it's a whole different beast. And um, as you can see, I'm not saying it's easy and I can't say it's easy. It's complex, it's doable, just to be committed and be ready to um, go through all the obstacles that you're gonna face because there's so many of them. And it takes you a year before you feel comfortable uh, because in that year you build, like we said earlier, Sabine, you build your you practice uh, to shape it to your needs, to the things that you're gonna do and you're gonna be doing. So that year, you just have to be able to write it out and get to the, to the point uh, where you're comfortable. And um, I wish everyone the best because I would like to see more and more limb salvage programs. They are very helpful to our patients. You know, I admire dedication. I think, you know, we're just at the beginning of, of what we'll, we'll see of limb salvage. And, and in five more years, there's going to be so much more technology and so many more limbs that we can save. So thank you so much for everything that you do, you know, and, and thanks again for speaking on the podcast today. That pretty much wraps it up on my side. So I'd like to thank our sponsor, RadPad, and and uh, thank all our listeners for listening. Um, you know, Jihad, keep on doing what you're doing. I really look forward to seeing what the next year or two holds for you. Thank you so much, Sabine, and you keep uh, the same thing 